Hello, welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. This is part one of our discussion of Stephen King's 1986 landmark horror novel, It. Let's get to the show. start with talking about what this podcast is going to be and who it's going to be for i think first off it's it's if you have read it ever this is a podcast for you i hear people talk about it Um, i think if you're curious about the novel this is a good way to get a little taste of what might be in store for you and see if it is something that you're interested in 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 checking out Um, and i think it's also for people who know they're never going to read the novel but maybe have a passing curiosity and like what what goes on in it i don't know what, what do you think yeah i agree i think it's just this is a way for us to re- kind of for you recap and for me to experience um a novel that's that's being adapted into a film and i am a person who likes to usually know what the source material is like before i go to see a film so i think it's just a good way for us to to talk about how we felt about the book versus the film and then also be a good guide for anyone who wants to listen along with us reading it or listen to it in parts and then go see the film after they've basically had the whole the book recap for them kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good point. It's kind of a it's kind of a like a 360 full experience, right? Like you're you're getting the source material, you're getting the eventual film that gets made and you'll you'll really have seen the whole picture instead of just part of it. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, uh, so so really it's for it's for everybody. Everybody should yeah. listen to it. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I guess we can talk about reasoning why we chose it for the first novel. Yeah. Mo- I mean, the 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 film is coming out yep. on September eighth, I believe, right? Yep. So, yeah, early next month, the film will be coming out, and I think it looks good. I, I'm 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 excited for it. Definitely, yeah. I remember seeing the miniseries growing up, but just vaguely remember it. And and you know, I had the the terror of Pennywise as a kid, and like I think a lot of people ended up being afraid of clowns <laughs> based on that miniseries but uh yeah i just i don't remember much of the story and i just know it's like a cultural touchstone so it's cool to go to really get the source material before this new movie comes out and i agree the new movie does look it looks interesting it looks like it's gonna be a good time yeah i hope so um my yeah my experience i guess we should talk about that a little bit more um i have read this novel um but i read it as an adult i read it um only a few years ago for the first time and uh, i'm rereading it now as we're doing the podcast um i'll be rereading it part by part which is how we're going to progress, by the way. Uh, part one of the book is going to be episode one, and then we'll move on to part two, episode two, and so on. And there's five parts in the book, so it'll be a five-part discussion. I don't know if we'll always do that for every book we do, because this is a like beast of a novel. It's really massive. Um, I think shorter novels, hopefully in the future, we'll probably get through a little quicker. Yeah, and like five parts is a pretty daunting thing, but if you stick through it, I feel like you'll really we'll we'll recap the source material. We're yeah. gonna try to really and like I said, if you really don't want to read it, then you can just listen to us talk about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
But I, I do recommend, recommend you read it. it. Yeah, let exactly. me Let me put that out there. I recommend you read yeah. it. Stephen King is a master storyteller, and everyone should check this novel out if you can handle some pretty... I guess there is some pretty graphic, some pretty grim, pretty extreme material in here. So that is a caveat. You have to be ready for that. There is a lot of violence, a lot of sexual violence, uh, sexualized violence. Um, so if you can't, yeah, I mean, if you can't do that, then don't read it. But if you're interested and that doesn't that doesn't worry you, then I, I totally think you should you should read it and read along with us. Yeah, I agree. I like we've read one part and I already feel like I can recommend it to people. It, it's it's really well written. Like you say, Stephen King is a he's a legend for a reason. So, yeah, and I think this is one of the this is one of the novels that really establish him as a as a major figure in not only the literary community but just everywhere. Because that you know, yeah, that movie came out, or it might have been a miniseries. I'm not 100 percent on it. The older version. Um, I should say I don't know that I've ever actually seen that in its entirety. I think I'd seen clips of it. Yeah, um, it's even in my memory i'm sure i i don't even think i saw the whole thing i just you know i just remember those the, like pennywise in the drain and all that you know what i mean just those little things stick in your mind when you're a kid so right so um you uh so you haven't read the book though no never read the book this this is my first time through okay so i think part of this is going to be a lot of me kind of talking to you about um not only what what we're seeing in the book but also maybe where you think it's headed um, I'm assuming you don't remember a lot of the plot from what you saw when you were younger. No, no, yeah. just just moments more than anything. Okay, so you know there's a clown and that kind of stuff, but beyond right. that, you don't know exactly what happens. Yep. All right, so um, I think what we're going to do is we're going to move through chronologically. I'll talk about each section, kind of what happens in it briefly. We won't go too long, um, and then we'll then we'll kind of react to it. So yeah, the book starts off. Um, we meet Georgie, and uh, there's a mention of his older brother, Stuttering Bill. Georgie is scared of the dark. He's imagining um, something he calls the apotheosis of all monsters, it. We actually get the name there. And um, it's, it's a creature that lives in his basement that he imagines that he has this fear of going down there because he, he imagines it attacking him. And there's a phrase I really liked King used called unzipped his guts is what he imagines mm. it would do to him, which I just <laughs> is, is brilliant. But yeah, so he uh, he decides he has a boat that he wants to go, um, like a paper boat that he wants to go play with, and his brother has helped him made it make it, and he has a conversation with his brother who's who's ill, and um, I don't know if you noticed this, but there is some hint that both of them kind of know that something is a little different. Georgie. Bill tells Georgie to give him a kiss, which he thinks is odd, um, because he doesn't normally do that. And he tells him to be careful, which he he notes is something that like a mom would normally say, but his older brother says that. So we get a little bit of a hint that somehow Bill kind of knows that something is off here. Um, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Then he goes down. Uh, he he chases his uh, his boat, which goes into a storm drain. And uh, when he's at the storm drain, he meets Pennywise the clown who introduces himself. Uh, they have a discussion. He uh, tells them that they all float down there and uh, rips his arm off and kills him. And that's the end of the beginning. So what did the you end think of, of the that? beginning? Yeah. I mean, this is like, this is, I, having seen the trailer recently too for the new movie, this is something that I was looking forward to seeing. I didn't, I didn't necessarily uh, 
um, I didn't necessarily think it would be so early on. I thought that they would kind of establish the characters a little more before having him die, which, but I mean, I thought it was great. I thought it was one of those things where it was like immediately, I mean, I have a younger brother and immediately I was like, okay, I can see where these kids are. Like, like they, they had the brotherly banter back and forth. They, they had, um, you know, they, they just had that dynamic. And so having him, one of them like bedridden and then having the other one go off on an adventure on his own seems like, like yeah you were saying there were like little hints of like something might be going on but at the same time i like me reading it not knowing exactly what was going to happen at the end of the storm drain i i was thought you know he was like oh i can't go he's he's my younger brother i've got to be protective but yeah i thought i thought it was very interesting that yeah so uh i should probably note that um in the book it's 1957 in a town called Derry, maine um, I'm not sure if that's going to be something they're going to keep in t- into the new movie. It does seem like it's some sort of period, but I'm not sure if it's the 50s or if it's a different time period. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, we opened in 1957. Uh, so yeah, you mentioned some stuff there. I wanted to a- ask more questions about it. Um, so you had a feeling... You you wanted you wanted Georgie to kind of like stop him from going, but um, as you were, so you kind of uh, empathized with the older brother there, right? Yeah, Bill. He was like he, yeah, like he he was like, oh man, my brother's going off on his own, and it's just one of those things that you think about as an older brother, like you need to be protective, and then of course, like Stephen King plays into that that yeah. terror of an older brother. I think that's what even... I think that's one of the things I've always felt that King does an amazing job of and that's his characters and making you feel for them and connect with them. Um, yeah. Uh, so another thing, Georgie, when he's imagining this creature in the basement and he calls it it and he imagines that he doesn't call it, he never, I don't think he ever calls it a clown or imagines it being a clown, but there's a lot of similarities between what he imagines happening in the basement and what happens to him. Yeah. What do you make as of that? As far as, so what's funny is like how I interpreted it when I was reading is I thought it was just like this sort of like shadowy mass, like nondescript creature. Like I, like, it, like I didn't feel like he came out and out and said, oh, there's a clown in my basement. No, he like did, I don't think he more, ever calls yeah. it a clown. He just says yeah. it's, it's it. It's this unnamed thing. Evil. Right. So like for me, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining like a shadowy demon creature that, that has no form almost something like that and i thought it was a really interesting choice to have you know a clown people people have found clowns terrifying i don't know if they did back in the 50s or whenever that was but i'm assuming they probably didn't but just to have have take something and have the juxtaposition of this like terror creature that's in the basement and then something that children normally love like a clown and and putting them together is is really interesting as far as like the things that happen i i can't even say that i realized that that was happening like what he was imagining happening in the basement was going to happen to him i didn't even realize that yeah do you think that there is like um so there's i mean there's clearly a similarity there between what he was imagining this thing was going to do to him in the basement and what actually happens to him yeah is there anything you want you think you could make from that or any any suppositions i guess that stephen king is like playing into the idea that children have some sort of sense that grown-ups don't or something and he okay. he he can maybe like the kid when they're children they're more perceptive i mm-hmm. mean knowing what i know about later in the chapter it seems like like as adults some of the characters kind of are are have something going on where they're not quite remembering everything that's going on so i'm assuming it has something to do with being a kid and yeah. um dealing with those things that you can't really tell an adult about because they'll think that it's fake and then when they're actually grown they 
don't believe it as well even though i'm assuming something happened to them when they were kids yeah there's a lot of um uh, yeah kind of it hints that maybe children are more susceptible and sensitive to these kind of things um and that uh, maybe more willing to believe in monsters and i think that will become a th- that does that that is a, a through line that i think it's important to kind of keep an eye on Okay, so let's let's move on. We um, the next section we get um, a description of. Though it's interesting because it does kind of jump a little bit in time. We get um, descriptions of a crime that occurs at a festival. A man named Adrian Mellon, um, who gets preyed on by I think we got some uh, Webby Garden is his name and some of his uh, crew uh, who are um, displaying uh, some really really. Uh, terrible homophobia and uh decide to attack him and then we know that somehow something odd happens at the end that results in the death of adrian mellon and then as the scene plays out we learn what that thing was um but we're also getting kind of jump forwards to the police interviewing them after the fact so that's what i say when the time the time with it is a little odd it's not like we're getting it playing out in chronological order so yeah so it seems that they um they encounter him first early in the night he's wearing a flowery hat that webby finds is like a personal insult to him um tells him to take it off he won't do it and he says if i ever see you again wearing that and you know i'm gonna kill you um we see a cop who was present for it he misremembers i I thought this was interesting he misremembers what what webby actually says and when he when he gives the account of what webby says he leaves out the fact that it was an explicit death threat made to him um which i don't you know it's interesting to think about what what king is doing there what he's trying to say about memory things like that and maybe perspective and then uh so they have a second the group has a second run-in with adrian mellon and he's wearing the hat still which is the thing that they said they didn't want to see and they attack him and throw him off of a bridge and then the story gets wonky and the cops kind of all don't know what to make of it because they say that there is a clown waiting for him under the bridge. And we hear different accounts of different things happening. Some of them seem to line up. Some of them seem to not line up. Like each person there maybe saw something different. Um, we get a description of Pennywise the clown biting his armpit, um, which I think is just a really visceral, interesting detail. And then let's see, yeah, the the it ends with um people going to jail um for murder and uh for the murder of age of, of uh, adrian mellon um and i think it's interesting because we're left with an interesting feeling because we know that they didn't actually kill adrian mellon that it was pennywise but we also see all the terrible things they do so the idea that we would feel bad for them is also weird so I, I think it's really interesting that where we're left at the end of this section. I'm going to go ahead and say that I didn't feel bad for them. Like, I, I know that that was, like, the intention. But uh, as far as, like, it, they didn't actually do it. But it's, like, I think it was King being, like, yeah, well, they kind of got what they deserved in the end. Like, that's that you shouldn't treat people in general. You shouldn't treat people that way. Right. And and then they get their comeuppance. Not, they didn't directly get killed, but they saw that some, there was some sort of weird supernatural thing going on where yeah. I don't know if they even realized it was supernatural. They probably just thought it was like a weird clown that bit him. But the, right. the, I, I thought it was very interesting just being in the second 
I guess this is just the second part of the first chapter. Uh, like we're already re this apparently Pennywise the clown is just a, like a he's. I didn't expect it to be. I thought it would be like more disappearances, and more um, you know children disappearing, people disappearing, people dying. But I didn't think it was going to be like as gory, I guess, because mm -hmm. like a child has his arm ripped off. This guy's been in the armpit, which is weird. And then as as the ch as the parts go on in this chapter, it's just interesting that that it's like so completely gore. I guess I would just say it's it's like much more gory than I was expecting. Explicit. Yes. We do get also some definitely some supernatural stuff happening. Like it's not he's not just a clown. He's got when he bites his armpit, he's got these like crazy teeth. Um, we, we hear descriptions of balloons just like filling the air underneath the, oh, yeah. underneath the bridge. Um, we know earlier when he's in the storm drain, like that's a place he shouldn't be. They even say at one point, like the current was so strong, no one could have been down there. So you definitely get the impression that this is like supernatural being, not just, not just a, a crazed man in a clown suit. Right. Is that what, is that what you remembered from the show or did you expect like it was more about like a serial killer uh, yeah i kind of i kind of didn't really remember it being i i it didn't it didn't seem supernatural to me like i from what i remembered i just remembered a like a creepy clown so mm -hmm. it being so supernatural and so gory was was interesting it was it was much more exciting to me i was like oh wow so it's not just people disappearing it's it's like this crazy creature like going around and just messing people up so um I had forgotten actually until you said about the about the balloons filling up underneath the bridge like that that was an in very interesting thing. Yeah, only only one person remembers it that way I think. Um, so that, that's another. Um, what, what do you what do you make of that? Because we get multiple people remembering the same event, and it seems like every one of them remembers something pretty different. Uh, the theory just came to my mind. Maybe each person experiences it differently. Maybe the, like he he's like has a designated experience for each person within that area and they're all experiencing something different so that there's no clear cut way that it happened like it happened all of those ways all those people actually believe that it happened that way because that's what it or pennywise wanted them to think yeah. or something like that we do get some we do get some hard proof if you want to call it that um where they talk about the coroner's report report saying that he did have like a big chunk missing from his armpit yeah so there's a couple of things that are like some like some of this stuff definitely happened but in what way it played out is kind of open for debate. Um, I do think there's also something interesting he's saying about, you know, um, eyewitness testimony being notoriously unreliable. And we're getting this through the perspectives of people remembering it. And it does seem that something happened, but everyone's remembering it a little differently. And, and um, I think that perspective is interesting. Um, that's something that you can explore in especially like writing more than it's probably it's it's more it's difficult to do that in a film because you typically like the camera seems to tell the truth whereas in a, in in a, in a in a book like this you can have these like false memories and and they cannot line up and that can exist in a, in a way that that you can't do on film yeah so yeah just like unreliable uh unreliable sources or unreliable narrators mm -hmm. that kind of thing where it like in you can't really and some of the best films have those unreliable like people that you can't trust that, that necessarily trust the narrative and that that creates like a really cool twist and i think that's something that king is definitely doing there where it's like you don't know who to trust or what's actually happening and it was getting it from the perspective in someone else's mind you're 
getting their perspective rather than the God perspective that like a camera gives you like a, the omnipresent type situation yeah. that like a camera would give you. He does. Um, I, I think it's noticed. It's, it's also interesting for me to see that he, he kind of head hops uh, a term that, that I've heard a lot as described with these POVs and that he, we get the inner thoughts of multiple characters. He's mm-hmm. not sticking to just one. Um, so it's, it is an omniscient viewpoint. Um, which is interesting because that's um, it's kind of an old school way of doing things, but I think I think Stephen King does it extremely well. And he uses it to great effect here, I think, by 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 doing that. Yeah. All right, so let's. Uh, I think it's good to move on to the next section here. Yeah. So next we get a more. I'm going to say, quote unquote, present time, although this is this book was written in 1986, so uh, present by the novel standards. Um, we get an adult, Stan Uris, or Stanley, and his wife, Patty. And this section is actually kind of written from Patty's POV, more than Stan's. We get a lot of her, of her reactions and her thoughts. Um, and uh, so what happens in this scene is Stanley gets a phone call, Patty doesn't know what it's about. We get one side of the phone call. We only hear we only hear what Stan says. And then he hangs up, kind of gets up, goes to the bathroom, closes the door. And then we get a prolonged um, scene that is one of my favorite scenes in this entire novel. And that is Patty realizing something's wrong, um, calling to her husband and him not responding, then her... Her, her dread as she approaches the door finally works up the urge to try the handle, works up the courage to try the handle, and finds that it's locked, which is something that he's never done before. And so we get all these like mounting things. Like With every, every, every moment, we, she reveals something else that makes this terrible. King talks about the plinking of the water. Um, he talks about the way she feels. She at one point has like almost like a blackout where she is all of a sudden back out in the main room and she's she's holding a phone and she doesn't know how she got there. And like he really dives into her mental state. And it's one of the reasons it's my absolute one of my absolute favorite scenes in the whole novel. Um, and then she goes back, uh, she gets a key, goes back, unlocks the door, opens it up, and finds uh, Stanley is in the bathtub. He's uh, slid his own wrists open i believe and he uh has written the word it on the wall and then that's the end of that section what do you think i mean as this was this was also my favorite from this first from this first part that we've gotten through this is my favorite um i was gonna mention here that like when this chapter started i was like wow like stephen king really 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 um even his side characters, even his characters that aren't, I mean, there's been, a, and even Georgie, some, about a lot of characters die, but he, he does a lot to flesh out his characters because yeah. when we were in Patty's POV, we were, she was, they were talking about the price is right, I believe. Yeah. And they were talking about like just all of these things that build up and make a character like believable yeah. and flesh them out and make them like an actual person. Yeah. And I think, um, their relationship we really like through the course of this scene with all this rising tension, he also is teaching us who these people are and how they relate to one another and what their relationships like. Yeah. And I just thought that, yeah, I thought that was incredible. I, I was like, wow, even these characters that end up, I, I, she may pop back up. I'm not sure. But, um, 
these characters that just are going to end up being smaller, smaller, I mean, small scales compared to the ones who are going to be throughout. I was just blown away by how, how detailed and how, um, believable they were. Um, as far as the chapter is concerned, like the tension, I was really, I was like freaking out. I couldn't believe how, uh, <laughs> he was like, I was, I was reading, I mean, reading a book, I was just like tense. I was holding the yeah. book. I was tense and my, my wrists were, you know, yeah. my wrists and forearms were tense the entire time. I just thought it was, I thought it was yeah really interesting uh, tense and, and and i think dread is the main emotion that he really like she yeah. knows she just knows how terrible yeah. it's going to be yet it ends up being even more terrible than she can imagine yeah but and we get that sense same for me like i going into it i was like oh he'll be dead he'll you know something he'll have he'll have drowned himself or died in the bathtub and then he went in and talked about how he the guy had carved like a t into his all the way up his forearm and yeah. it was just completely there's no saving him at that point you know what i mean like there's he was just already gone and to have a character that we didn't even these characters probably and i'm assuming they they won't show up in the novel again they'll talk about stanley but and that's another thing is just the phone call set him off so what what do you think about the phone call set him off did you is that something you were able to figure out from the context I'm assuming that Mike called him and was like, "Hey, it's time to go back into our into our promise. There was a promise that they made when they were kids, and it's I need you to come back, and I need uh, us to fulfill our promise that since things are happening again, it's time for us to get back together." Yeah. So we get into a section here that's the first of several where it's Mike Hanlon calling people that he that he, I guess he knew when they were kids, and telling them that that it has returned, and that they had made a promise to come back and um so we can intuit that he tells this to stanley um and then stanley kills himself um now i'm curious i mean it's kind of meta but like i know you've seen i know you've seen the trailers for the movie um and so you've seen that they're all children in the trailers for the movie right not adults yeah. Um, and this is an adult Stanley, and um, you know, in future sections we have adult characters. What, what do you make of that? I, I well, I just drew the conclusion that we were mostly going to be getting the what happened when they were kids, and then nearing the like, because from from the chat from the parts of these chapters that we've seen, it's been everybody's leaving. Other than Stanley, Stanley didn't make it, but other than Stanley, everybody's leaving and coming back. So I'm assuming that on their journey back all of the things that took place when they were kids is going to be like recapped and talked about. Mm-hmm. And then nearing the end of the film or nearing the end of the book, in this case, I just keep thinking film, <laughs> yeah, film related, uh, nearing the end of the book, I'm assuming that they'll be there as adults and they'll confront, like think the the two kind of the, the themes of what's going on in the, when they're kids and then the themes of what they're dealing with as adults, but also dealing with what happened when they were kids will cross. And then it'll be like a, the, crescendo will be them figuring it out as adults and how to stop it i am hmm. i that's what i'm guessing okay. i don't know i won't reveal because i do yeah, know I don't. um but I, I won't get in. i'm just interested to see what you what you thought of that if you were yeah. surprised to get all these adults um yeah so i mean and so we can intuit that stanley the child was still was there so if we're going to get any prolonged flashbacks we may get stanley the child right which will even, be cool even though stanley the adult is now dead mm-hmm Okay, so um, next up we get a similar call. Um, I think it's already been made, um, and we, we meet uh, Richie Tozier, who is a radio DJ. Um, we get uh, him, him he, he makes a lot of different voices 
that seems to be his thing. Um, I wrote, I have a note here that says, uh, we first hear about Henry Bowers, a bully who used to chase him and his friends. Um, I'm just highlighting that because that's an important name to remember for later. He, he talks about a lot about memory. He, he starts to remember things. Um, he, he remembers how he wore glasses and how he was picked on for that. Um, and then at the end of that, he has a, he has a part where he thinks of himself as a dead man walking. Um, and he, he gets in an argument with, um, somebody at the station, I think, cause he tells him he has to leave and he, so he's going back. He, he, he's taking Mike up on his, on what he told him and he's, he's going to go back to Derry. Um, did anything stand out from that section to you? I have a few things written here. The things that I, that I really enjoyed were obviously this guy uses the voices. It's probably something he developed as a child. He uses the voices to cope with things that he can't control yes. or that kind of thing. Yeah, I have that note too. Yeah, coping mechanism for sure. Right. I think that's a cool that's a cool character trait. Like I think that's just a cool thing to have. I thought it was interesting that all as adults, all of these people would would just be like, "Okay, it's time to go back." Like it's such a serious issue yeah. for them as kids. And and I don't think we learned in this in one of the parts we learned that all of them had forgot. I believe all of them had forgotten about it. Yeah. And then not until Mike called them did they remember. So it's just interesting that they remember this thing that they had forgotten. So obviously it wasn't that important to them in their adult life. But then when their their old friend from childhood, Mike, calls, they drop everything. Everything, whatever's going on in their lives, most of them, other than Stanley, are able to give up what they're doing and, and leave. So so the, is that your take on it? I mean, it's kind of a talking about everything. Um, but since you mentioned it, I'll ask you now. Is that kind of what you think? You think they... Um, you think they've forgotten about it because it wasn't as important to them, maybe? Um, oh, or do you think know. something else might be going on? Yeah, I definitely think it's something else. I just think that as in, it's just like there's some sort of spell or something that made okay, them... So some sort of block, maybe supernatural. I'm assuming supernatural. But okay. the I just thought it was very interesting that like if you made a promise about it as a yeah. kid, it would be... It would be something that you would remember for sure, and then the fact that there was a mental block or a spirit, like supernatural right. block, whatever it was, had them all forget about it. And then when their friend called, then they it was re, they were reengaged. And I also thought it was very interesting with the, uh, we'll talk about it when we get there. But that every twenty six years or twenty five years, something seems to be happening. I think that's very interesting. Twenty six, twenty seven. I want to say it's twenty seven. Twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. Yeah. Yeah. Like he that. says it's if he did, he does say it's a range. Like it's not always yeah. the same. Okay, so let's get to the next section. We got um, Ben Hanscom. We meet next. Also getting a phone call. Um, we, or, or he has gotten a phone call, we should say. Um, we're getting kind of the after effects here. He uh, is a wealthy, we find out, world-renowned architect. Um, and he, he goes to this bar. And we get a lot of it from the point of view of the bartender. And, um, yeah, at the bar, he, uh, he orders a stein, stein glass full of whiskey. Yeah. Um, I love this part. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and then the bartender's like, uh, oh shit, what have I done? Because he, yeah. he proceeds to drink the entire thing. Um, and then, um, and then he, then he walks out and he gets in his car and he drives away. <laughs> I also particularly love the part where he asks him how much it's going to cost. Because yeah. I was like, oh, because he got him good stuff too. I think he pulled out yeah, the good stuff. Yeah, that's right. He asked for the good he, stuff. He poured him, he poured him a whole stein of, of whiskey yeah um what do you think of that i mean like that seems to me as someone who has had a fair share of whiskey um that's like you're gonna die kind of amounts 
Yeah. Um, something that I forgot to mention from the last section that also plays a part in this section is you said that he, he felt like he was a dead man walking. And I just thought it was interesting that they had all forgotten about this, this thing that happened when they were kids. But now as adults, when they remember it, they feel like they're all going to their death because they remember what happened when they were kids, I'm assuming, or, or some right. of the stuff that happened when they were kids. And they're all going back to sudden, like certain death. Like right. Most so they of them feel assume. like they're heading in, they're heading yeah. in and they know that they're heading into something that could kill them. Right. And so, yeah, I think a lot of them are living, living a little like this guy drinks a, as much whiskey as he's probably ever had and <laughs> just j- jumps in a car and drives off. It's just it seems like somebody who doesn't care if they live or die. So, yeah. What do you make of the fact that he is some seems like not that drunk and he drives his car away and doesn't immediately crash it? Like, I don't know. Does it seem like something? Do you think that's supernatural or you think that's just him? Like, I don't think so. Uh, being a badass. Maybe. No, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe he has such a high tolerance that he's been drinking steins of whiskey for yeah, a long time. He's been working his way up to it. He's he's been drinking like a fourth of a stein, a half of a stein. Yeah. And he's slowly like we don't know, but like every night he drinks like three quarters of a stein, and this is the first yeah. time he's gone full stein, but he's used to I, it at this point. Yeah, I, I. That's probably you know who knows you know we we don't know this guy's <laughs> whole background, but leaving like that was was interesting to me because the woman there was a woman in the bar who was like I can't believe you're not gonna stop him and the the guy was yeah. out, he was just so det- he was det- he was leaving and then I feel like the bartender knew whether or not he tried to stop him like he was getting in the car he and was leaving, leaving anyway. Yeah, I I did want to point out also um he mentions I think he he mentions that he used to be fat. And he, um, what we see him now is he's very attractive, and uh, I think he, he, ta- he like, he, it, there's mention of him, like, being really good with women. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he mentions that when he was, when he was younger, he was fat and, and unattractive, <laughs> I guess, is the implication. And, yeah, they, they, I'm not sure what, it would, I think it was the, the section with um, Richie, he, they talk about, how, I think he's the first to bring up the Losers Club. Yeah, and how they call themselves the Losers Club. I think it's the Losers Club. Right? That's right, the Losers yeah. Club. Yep. So I, he's the first to bring it up, and and I think that they're they're all they've all gone. Obviously, people grow up, and pe- yeah. a lot of people are picked on growing up, and that kind of thing. And uh, I think that it's interesting that all of these kids were the losers, and yet they had to go through all of this. They probably, I'm assuming, there was some sort of. I don't know how, you know, I don't know exactly how, but they broke some sort of spell or finished some sort of ritual that they mm-hmm. needed to, and they saved the town because people stopped, stopped being, oh, dying quite. That a- reminds me of something else that it enigmatically gets said. Um, What's especially that? It's in the Stanley section, I think. And it's, um, Stanley, it's a couple points says, uh, something to the effect of the turtle couldn't save us. Ah, yes. This is something that I, I, I was like, what is this? What, I, was, I, was, I was wondering what your take on that is. Yeah, so they keep... I think actually the first person to bring it up is Georgie. I think Georgie says he sees the... You're um, right. He mentions seeing a turtle. In the, in the, uh, in the, gar- in the basement. Yeah. He talks about there being a turtle. I right, think it was which, turtle wax, something about we, turtle wax. Which, remember, I was mentioning how similar what was going on in the basement was to what actually happens to him. That's the first time we hear of the turtle. You're right. Right. And I, cause I remember that specifically because I was like, I reread it a few times and I was like, is this, what is going on? Am I missing something? And <laughs> it just seemed like a very interesting thing to throw in there. Yeah. Um, and so when it showed back up, I was like, I knew it. I was like, I knew that there was something going on with this turtle. And yeah, I don't, I don't know what to make of it yet. I really don't, uh, some mm-hmm. sort of, um, something related to it and Penny or Pennywise, mm-hmm. but, uh, maybe it has something to do with breaking the curse, breaking the spell, some sort of uh maybe you can satiate it well it's interesting because this the thing he says is that the turtle couldn't help us 
or the tur- turtle couldn't save us or something like that, right? Isn't that what he says? Uh, I don't remember exactly, but that sounds right to me. Yeah, I think that's right. That'll be interesting to see how that plays a part. Yeah, so that's kids. something to keep an eye out on. Like, what's going on with this turtle, right? <laughs> All right, let's move on. We got uh, next. We got Eddie Kasprak, who um, it's another really interest, really interesting character study here. Um, he's we opens with him looking in his medicine cabinet, and he's like, he's packing for his trip back to Derry. He's gotten the phone call, and we go. Th- he goes through, and you just see like a store worth of vitamins, med- medication, supplements, all this different stuff. And then we get kind of an interesting flashback section where he talks about his mother. Um, we learn that he thinks that he essentially married his mother and his wife is like a, the same kind of person that she was. He remembers um, going to, I think it was a shoe store and trying out the, the shoe x-ray and his mother having like a complete breakdown, meltdown and like coming and 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 causing a huge scene and saying that it's going to give him cancer and all this stuff um and then it's like he, it seems to affect the way he's viewing his wife who gets really upset with him leaving and starts telling him that he's going to like you know he's going to have asthma or he's going to you know what is he going to do and she's not going to be there to protect him and and all this stuff and um yeah, then he uh, he kind of finds the strength to leave anyway. Um, and there's a lot of talk about memory, and he, and, he, and, he, and he talks about that flashback he has actually feels more like a dream than a memory. Um, and we get the first mention, I made a note here, we get the first mention of a leper. That he has, him him and his, his friend had an encounter with a leper. Yeah, what, what did you make of this section? I thought this was, I think Eddie is one of the more interesting characters because I think we've seen him a lot, that character, something similar to that in other media before. It makes me think of the guy who, who has a complex because of, you know, family issues or whatever it is. Like, it seems like his mother was overbearing. So he fell into comfort when he found someone who was like his mother, even though he didn't necessarily like the, the things that she did it was familiar to him or he felt comfortable with that. So he found someone very similar to his mother who was overbearing and, and he, yeah, like I just, I think that's a really interesting character and he'll, the fact that he was able to leave shows how serious the situation is that they have to get back because I mean, his wife was like in tears and begging and yeah, she's like really, she really brings the thunder on like making him feel bad. Like he's going to, he's going to like really hurt her if he leaves. Right. Yeah. I particularly love the part that, uh, anytime they bring up anything film related, I, I, I love it. There's mentions of John Wayne, but when they, they're talking about somebody's going to have to drive Al Pacino and they keep talking about how like, Oh, that's right. Cause they're, they drive, they drive like movie stars and stuff. Right. right. So when she, he kept, he like lied to his wife and said like Al Pacino is like this super nice guy. All the other drivers <laughs> have told me anybody else who's driven him has told me that Al Pacino is like the greatest. And like, from Al Pacino's characters, and like I'm assuming he's a he's a nice guy, but it's just like you wouldn't <laughs> think that. And for him to just like comfort his wife, like yeah, Scarface, yeah. no, he's a great guy. You'll love him. He's gonna be he's gonna tip really well. I just thought that was great. I'm <laughs> I'm sure Al Pacino's a, a lovely man. I'm sure he's great, and I love yeah. him. But uh, I thought that was hilarious. And uh, but yeah, the for him to leave, it just seemed it just makes it 
that much more believable that this is like a, a, a like this is a situation that they all feel like they have to go back they're obligated to go back and she can't stop him even though in and it seems like a normal occurrence for her like she does this a lot to get her way and so she'll complain she'll cry she'll it, it's just, and it's it's normally it's he seems like a meek individual who will mm-hmm. give into that and will try to you know uh, appease her and yeah. it, it doesn't seem like that's what he's doing in this situation so it's a big a big jump for him and i know he has a lot of complexes with his health and stuff because his mom told him he couldn't do it even though yeah. the gym coaches were telling him it was good for him to do it and that kind mm-hmm. of thing so he has a lot of the, the a lot of issues just f- that stem from his childhood yeah. when he's his clearly internalized him. a lot of these things right definitely yeah. and that goes back to the medicine cabinet I, I really want to talk about this in relationship to the next section. Uh, maybe we should wait until after the end of the next section. Um, but I think I, I just want to put a pin in that. I think Eddie Eddie's what happens with Eddie in this part is really interesting when you consider it next to what happens to Beverly. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so next up we get Beverly and Tom, which is another fantastic scene to me. Um, part of it for me is because Stephen King is like walking a tightrope on this on the in this whole section uh, he's he's doing like art uh writer you know like backflips on a tightrope it's it's he's really showing off a level of skill that i think is quite amazing and when i say that i mean because a lot most of this section is told from the point of view of tom and it's him and it's him and he takes us into the mind of an abusive horrible human being and he shows us the way he thinks, his obsession with dominance, his how he is sexually excited by pain that he's inflicting, um, and it's I mean it's a really frightening look at this man's psyche, but he also manages to find humanity in this guy, and he talks about how his mother made him feel as a child. And he talks about, you know, like a history of abuse that that Tom dealt with. And you can see that there's being there's he's he doesn't come out and say this is why he's like this. But you can see that there's this there's this kind of like history of violence that is behind why Tom is the way he is. And um, I talk about the difficulty of this because, I mean, and everybody I mean, there's a lot of people who would read this and would be offended and wouldn't be able to handle it. And, and that's fine. I, you know, everybody's going to and especially if you have if you have um, exposure to this kind of thing, it can be just extremely um, shocking to you and bring you back, bring back memories you don't want to you don't want to go with. Um, but I think it would be wrong to say that King does it in a way that isn't careful and it isn't um, empathetic and it isn't in a way that glorifies it. Um, he instead shows us Tom and how awful he is, but also how human he is. And then we see Bever- Beverly, um, has, has, is in a weird way complicit in this relationship. Um, and that's a really complicated thing to even talk about, but we see moments where it seems like she has had a history of this kind of relationship with men. And there's a mention of her father. And that it seems that maybe she kind of married her father to go back to that Eddie, who's apparently married his mother. Mm-hmm. And then she, much like Eddie, um, rises above, and we see her fight back for the first time. It seems like in her adult life, and there is an epic showdown. And man, the way he describes the flying perfume bottles, the belt, 
um, just everything between these two characters. Um, yeah, she she fights back. Um, there's a lot of blows given both sides, but she gets the best of them. Gets out into a uh, taxi cab and has a victorious, like a really truly victorious moment where we really cheer for her. I think um, where she gets in this taxi and leaves him behind. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I thought this is another one of those scenes where I was like, I. At first, I was like, "I wow, she's gonna. How is she gonna get away from this guy? Because clearly, this guy. Well, it is interesting though because the guy doesn't even think that she. He doesn't think affair right away, right? He's like, she doesn't have. He doesn't think that she has it in her to do it. She wouldn't dare. Right, she wouldn't dare. And I and I think that that's really interesting. That he, like you said, like he's in. We're in the we're in the mind of an awful person, and he he's pushing the boundary you know he's he's making it so and this is 1986 yeah. right so like it's not this isn't modern day social media environment yeah. Yeah. this is a time when like these things ago. these things happened and like it's awful and it just wasn't it wasn't like i feel like it, women felt like it wasn't was, talked it was about as much right it was harder to get out of that situation because right. it's just something that happened which is awful and wrong Um, and I just think that for him to write this in the mid eighties is, is it's very interesting. That's what I I, I was thinking that during, while reading this, I was like, wow, he's confronting something that's, that's, I mean, it's always been an issue, but he's confronting something at, at that time. So if I can, if I can kind of, uh, analyze that a little bit, why, why do you think we're getting such a stark look at, there's lots, a lot of similarities between Tom and the homophobic assholes, who killed Adrian Mellon right. and both times he really shows how the hate works in their minds. Um, yeah. Thematically, if you, if I had to put you on the spot, do you think there is something being built there? I like, I can see that there's the connection there that, that we're seeing these awful people, these people that are just, they're irrationally like hateful. They just, they're hateful for the sake of being like prejudiced or hateful and there, there, there is something in their mind that might be tweaked or something like that. There may be something within their upbringing in, in the case of uh, Tom. But it's, it's interesting because, like you say, I, I, was, I was really... He, we're in the mind and, and he rationalizes them. Like, we're in Tom's mind and he rationalizes. He has, like, it's reasons for doing it. It's scary how well he explains the motivations and how much we understand it. Like, we, be- we believe that this guy thinks this way. And then when she goes to fight back, he sees it as like, he doesn't see it as, oh, she's sticking up for herself. He sees it as she's being even, she's being bad initially, right? For smoking. So he sees it as that. And he feels like he needs to be the disciplinary in the situation and force her to stop. And by any means, whether it's hitting her or whatever it is. And then, and then as it escalates, he's like, oh, wow. He's like, he he's like it's time for her to be even more punished and then by the yeah. end he's full-blown gonna kill her if he can get yeah. to her and it's um he m- multiple times he mentions how she doesn't see him he feels like he isn't even there and it, there's a lot of like this guy it's it's all about control it's all about feeling important and it, it's it's clearly tied to his own lack of like self-esteem and and it's not to explain it or to it, it, I mean, it is to explain it, but it's not to like m- somehow make it more palatable. It's it's just King like really cutting to the quick and sh- and like understanding these kind of situations and you know this kind of situation at the very least. Um, which I, to me, like like I said, like this is him doing backflips on a tightrope for me as a writer. It's it's amazing stuff. 
I'll be interested to see how much of this they dive into in the in the film, because I don't know. I I almost don't even know if they're gonna do any of the adult stuff, which would be such a disservice to the source material. Now, I I I do. I have heard some stuff. I guess I I, I don't know if it would be spoilery to bring it up with you. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we should address that or not. I I will just um. Yeah, I'll just bring it out. It's it's pretty out there. Um, I have heard now. I don't know if this is um. It's definitely going to happen. It might pre- it might depend on the success of this movie, but I um from what I heard is that a second movie is planned. Oh wow! I did not know that. Okay, and if you think about the uh, the 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 fact that we've talked about this first movie clearly is is focusing very much on the kids. Yeah, you could assume that maybe the second movie is going to deal more with the adults. That's interesting. I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's it's such a large book that it makes sense in order to hit all of what they want to hit. But at the same time, I don't know that it, it's like, I don't really like, I don't know. So we would get, I like the disjointed narrative that we have going on in the book. And I would hope that like a film would do the same because if we just get this all as a linear story, I think it takes away from a lot of it. Well, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and prepare for that to happen. Cause I think that I suspect that is what's going to happen. Um, now I might be wrong they might have some sort of flash forward to begin the, begin the movie. But my prediction is we're going to get a straight up tale told of the past and what happened as in the past. That's my suspicion. I could be wrong. Um, and then I think we'll then get a follow up if the movie's successful, which I think it will be. Um, we'll eventually get part two, which will tell the story of the adults. And it'll be interesting to see because I agree that there's a lot that will be lost in the interplay of those two. Um, but I'm sure we'll have a lot of discussion about this. It's going to become a lot about the media and and your the medium that you're telling the story in, and when you're telling something as a film, it's a lot harder to do something like this where you're jumping between childhood events and, and adult events and and keeping both straight and 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 doing service to both stories in the length of a you know two two and a half hour movie especially. I agree. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we can get into more of that later. Um, for now, let's move on to Bill Dembro. Um, and I, the more, I, so I've read several Stephen King novels. I've read his book on writing called on writing, um, a memoir of craft, I believe, um, uh, written by Stephen King himself. And Bill Timbro seems so much like Stephen King writing himself into this novel. I was going to say that I was going to ask you about this. So <laughs> I didn't know how obvious it might be to you. Yeah. I was going to say like, I'm like he, the whole story with the teacher and him, him, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, all right, this yeah. has got to be, a, yeah. this has got to be fairly close to real life. Yeah. So I read his, his, his craft book is a memoir too. And he talks a lot about what happened with him as a kid and growing up and becoming a writer. And this is so similar to things that actually happened to him Okay. Um, to where I have trouble distinguishing what was Bill talking about what happened to him and what I've actually read about Stephen King. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so let's just get into what's in the book. Um, Bill Dembro, we learn is a writer um he who was uh he he studied literature in college but was disillusioned with um the kind of uppity you know uh, snobby i should say um nature of the literary community in his college and he even like storms out of class one point or walks out of class um saying something to the effect of can't a story just be a story and um, then he decides he's going to write a story about a boy fighting a creature in his basement. Um, oh, this, by the way, I don't. I, you did get that this is um, Georgie's brother now as yeah. an adult. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So we we he, he writes a story called The Dark, I think it was, about a boy um, 
fighting a creature in the basement, which we 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 clearly see the uh, connections to his 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 uh, deceased brother. Um, then he subs that story, gets it published, has a thing with his exchange with his uh, professor where he where he sticks um, it to him. That he sends it to him, and he's like, "Look, you know, I got money for this or whatever." And then um, the yeah, then the professor's like, "Do you think money changes anything?" And he's like, "Yes, I do." <laughs> um, yeah, and we basically get the idea of this kind of working man's novelist who's writing genre stuff and is making money off of it. And guess what? He also marries a drop dead gorgeous movie star. <laughs> Of course, because he's he's a star himself, um, and we get his discussion with his wife. Um, he's remembering. He's, he starts to remember more and more, and then a scar is on his hand that wasn't there like a day ago. Um, and they have a discussion about how scars can't just show up out of nowhere. And then, as he's talking, he begins to stutter again, which we learned he has not done in many years. So, what did you think about that? The whole time reading this, I was I was loving it. This was another one of my favorite parts. Um, <laughs> I was gonna ask you a couple specific questions because okay. I felt like I felt like with your background, this this I wanted to know how uh-huh. how true to life did you feel like this? What did you have a little, some flashbacks at all or any sort of? Well, uh, so yeah, I uh, my undergrad was in was in creative writing and it was um, very literary focused, and then I have a master's degree from uh, Seton Hill University that was in writing popular fiction. And so I, I made the shift. I went from from literary to genre. And yeah, this is this is all still out there today. Um, I I like to think that the two communities have gotten a little more accepting of one another. Um, but you certainly could have a professor who is just like this guy and who would just call it all garbage. And and like this absolutely could happen today. Um, there is a lot of fighting between the two sides of people who who write literary stuff looking at genre writers and call it all pulp and think it's all has no artistic merit and it's just a money grab and you know things like that and then you get people on the genre side who look at literary stuff and think it's all you know head up your ass um pretentious pretentious that it's that no one's interested in it because it's boring you know that kind of stuff. So you get you get you. There are two sides to this debate still that still raging in 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 the writing community. Absolutely. So yeah, I thought. I mean, just from my limited experience, I I took a create one creative writing course uh, that I had a very similar situation. We it was a fiction writing class, and and uh, coming into it, I I am interested in genre, and mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people are. But uh, coming into that situation, I quickly learned that the people in the class and we did uh, group group critiques where you read you read your piece to the class and everybody tears it apart. Yeah, which is fine. And it's good. It's a good way to go about getting a lot of things out there and and, uh, getting rid of nervousness for writing and that kind of thing. But I thought that it definitely had I had a few moments when I was like, oh, wow, this is this is what uh, fiction writing is. Because I, I, going in, I was really interested in, in genre, and, and it definitely was a helpful class, but it just definitely... this, this, this. So did you, write, did you write a genre piece when you were in that class? Yeah, as, as my first piece, actually. What genre? It was kind of uh, fantasy. Fantasy? Like, uh, okay. Yeah, kind of fantasy. Yeah. And it was basically, the assignment was, um, listen, overhear, eavesdrop on a conversation, and uh-huh. kind of try to thread that into a, a fictionalized story. And yeah. I overheard a conversation that was taking place, and then... Um, put it in a war room of a of a medieval or like fantasy world, and they were like mm-hmm. talking talking strategy, and then everybody else in the class wrote about you know their friends talking about 
whatever relationship yeah. stuff was going on or whatever. It was just a very interesting situation. Did you did you get did you get blasted for it? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah. definitely. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. My uh, my first literary creative writing workshop I took in college. I I wrote a I definitely wrote a horror short story, straight up horror. How did that go? Uh, yeah, definitely got 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 torn apart uh, yeah. by my teacher by other people in the class. Definitely. I think it's just part of it, but yeah, I thought this I thought this this was this section was really fun. Yeah, if we can continue a little bit more of a of a, of a um, aside here, I am curious. Um, in, in with film, in studying to do film, is there any divide like this? That it, like people who are maybe like more into art house and like really hate blockbusters. Like, is there that kind of thing? Is it still there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's a happy. Personally, I love all film. Like, I just go, I approach it, and if it's good and I enjoy it, then I enjoy it. You know. And I think there is some commercialized things going on in the industry where blockbusters are what people see typically. And a lot of the indie films don't get the marketing and that kind of thing. So a lot of people don't see it. And yeah, those people who are working in indie filmmaking or they, they can look down on if you have an indie film that does really, really well, it just looks better for in those people's perspectives. It looks better than if you work on a blockbuster, because, of course, a blockbuster is going to make millions of dollars. Right. But the indie, it's it's very interesting. There's definitely there's definitely people look down on other people, and even within like documentary filmmaking and things like that. Like if somebody makes a documentary, sometimes it can be seen as it's just seen in a different light than you know narrative filmmaking. And there's sure. just all different tiers. Okay, well let's get let's get back into this section. I I do want to hear what your take is on him having scars appear on his body and his stutter coming back. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's more of the, like, they just keep leaning more and more into the supernatural elements and the magic and, or what I would call magic, (laughs) supernatural issues that are going on. I think that he... Weird occurrences. Yeah, he, he's like, more time goes on, we're like, all right, so something's obviously going on. It's not just that these people forgot, it's that something was, was put some sort of block on them from when they were children. And uh, the scars coming back is like... A realization for him like as soon as i think they most of them say as soon as mike gets off the phone with them they remember a lot of what happened but yeah. for him the scar is like that's that's you can't dispute that it's that's the truth like there was a scar there from proof. when you were something right. something's going on here so exactly. it's 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 king is kind of taking us by the hand and saying like this is something supernatural is happening a little bit right like this is something like you can't deny a scar has appeared appeared on this man's body so it's not just some sort of natural memory thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, let's get to this interlude here and we can finish out part one. One more thing I wanted to say about that last okay. uh, part is uh, the, my favorite part of that of that section there is when the stutter's coming back. Yeah. I thought that was amazing. Like I like because he's he's a he's a kid again. You know he yeah. can't he's he's gotten so far in his life and he pushed through the stutter. He pushed through his teacher not believing in him and he's now married to a movie star and he's a famous writer and all of these things but still at the end of the day it the, like pennywise or whatever happened back when they were kids the promise mm-hmm. that they made brings him back he has no control he's that same kid i thought yeah. i just thought that part was great absolutely i totally agree I, I, him him almost being like he's surprised when it happens it's out of his control and it's kind of terrifying the idea that something like that could just sneak up on you and all of a sudden now you're stuttering again like I, I found that like deeply unsettling, mm-hmm. and and yeah, I agree. That's it's a, that's a great part there. There's one line when he's stuttering to his wife, uh, where she she can't handle it. Like she, he talks about how she can't she can't hear the stutter. She's like, just go, please go, because uh-huh. she, she's it's not the man that she married. It's some boy right. that can't somebody else. Yeah, yeah, it's not. 
not as seasoned as he is and i just thought that was like that made me cringe i was like please make it stop <laughs> well get used to reading some stutters because i'm yeah. going to tell you there are some more in this book <laughs> all right so next up we get the interlude um and the interlude is from the point of view of mike hanlon who has been the man who's been calling all of these other characters we learn and he is back in Derry. he never left and he has taken upon himself to start researching the history of the town. Um, he works at a library. And we learn that people have started dying again. Um, and because people have started dying again, he started doing research. And he has found that every 27 years or so, that Derry has some terrible deaths, disappearances, and they seem to cluster together over the course of a year or a little over a year. Um, going all the way back to the original set settlers of the town, and he thinks maybe beyond. Basically, it's always been happening as far back as anyone has been writing anything down. Um, he talks about, at one point, the whole town went missing very early on. He talks about something called the fire at the black spot, but we don't get a lot of information about that. And... Um, he talk he uh, talks to some old timers in his in like um, modern day and they tell him kind of like yeah you we know about this thing other people have kind of noticed this but no one talks about it and um, yeah we 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 hear I it, one really big one is the um, there's an Easter egg hunt at the ironworks that he reads about and he knows about where 88 children died in an explosion. Um, and there's a few other things referenced where these other, like, crazy events happen in the town history. Uh, what'd you, what'd you make of this, this section? I thought it was really cool to see, to get, to get the backstory and the, the history of that town. Um, a story in history that's always fascinating me is the Roanoke disappearances yeah. from the early settlers and stuff. Big, there's definitely a big, like, connection to that, right? And so, yeah, when they, when they talked about it being very similar, I was like, this is great. This is awesome. This is something I can really sink my teeth into. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's going into the history. I mean, the, what is it in an oil? What was it? The, with the eggs, the egg the ironworks, the called. ironworks. Yeah. This Easter egg hunt at the ironworks where it exploded. Yeah. Obviously that was, a uh, that was it. That was, you know, Pennywise or whoever. Yeah. So you see, so, you, so you're like, it's behind this somehow. Yeah, it has to be. So, and it's seeing how far back it goes that, that shows you that probably wasn't a clown back then. It might take the right. form of whatever is going to be what scaring whoever is there, whatever generation is going on. And so I just, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that I can't say that I know what it's going to be in the end, but it's definitely going to be something ancient, some ancient evil or something. Okay. So yeah, this is, this is you thinking like, okay, this is some ancient evil that's, that's got, it comes in many forms. Um, it clearly, it, um, if it's, if it's re somehow responsible for all of these occurrences, it's working in different ways. Right. Like, and, and it seems to be, um, to me, it's like, it seems like it's implying that it's affecting the actual people in the town too, not just, preying on them so yeah the, it really is a deep dive into Derry's history um and then we get him uh, i think we get a little bit it ends with mike feeling kind of guilty but also feeling like it's necessary to call all of his old friends and and have them come back and uh yeah any anything else you want to talk about with that interlude i like i said before it's just i thought it was so fascinating to get into the, the history and yeah. uh to hear the old timer talk about how it happened 20 something years before when he was just a boy when when 
uh, Bill was just a boy to hear him talk about that and how he wouldn't have remembered, but there were things that, that happened and things that they did to make it end then, or I, he was being vague, but I wasn't, I, I'm not exactly sure what he meant by what they did or how they handled it, but literally with like his dying breath, he, he had said, um, I, he's like, just give up on it. Just go. And he's like, Bill says, I can't, I can't give up on it. And then the old man says, then beware because yeah. something's out there. He's going to get you. Yeah. He, he basically warns him, don't, don't look into this. And he, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing it. Um, there was a part where he, I can't remember, I, I think he was talking to a man whose daughter had died. Yes. And the man mentions that he could hear his daughter's voice in the pipes, like up the, like down the drain. And um, then we find, yeah, then we find out that his daughter was one of the ones who was, who was, who went missing or was killed. And, uh, yeah, I just thought that was, like, a really creepy part where the idea of hearing your dead daughter talking to you from the from the drain. Yeah, and I really didn't know what to make of that. Like, I just was like, okay, well, something happened to her, obviously, and she's haunting you guys or haunt, something's, something's, like, making you guys miserable because right. – and reminding you of your I, – I think they said his wife couldn't even go down there, and he, he had to be down there for, for whatever reason. I can't remember what the reasoning was, but he had to be down there, and he would hear it all the time, and he just had to deal with it. Yeah. Okay, uh, that's the end of part one that we've that we read. That's that's everything. Um, we are definitely getting along on time. Um, do we want to do any overall thoughts, or do we just want to end it around here? Yeah, I guess we can just do overall thoughts. Um, I mean, this first part is it's great. I loved that we were jumping all over the place with the the characters. I I will say that the first few chapters, I was like, wow, I have to jump i mean even having read some of game of thrones and all that kind of thing with all these different characters jumping around yeah there are a lot of characters for sure it felt like there was a lot of characters in this and and uh to get invested in them at first um but he does such a great job of of pulling you into each story once you're you know page into the story you're invested in the characters and you want to see what happens and then and then he's threaded it so well together and thread this like like i said before like a disjointed narrative where yeah we're getting them in the future and in the, or not the future, but I guess the present and then in the past. And then uh, just how the themes of what happened or how they turned out as adults, mm-hmm. it's going to be informed by what happened when they were kids and all that stuff that went on. So, so what do you, what do you see going forward? What are you, what are you looking forward to getting into and learning more about? Well, obviously I want to know about this turtle thing. I got to know what that okay. means. That's a big one for me. Um, I I'm excited to see them uh, reconnect as adults. I can't wait to see the whole group back together. Okay, so you're excited uh, to see the the adult reunion. Yeah. Yeah, and then obviously I want to see what happened when they were kids and how they handled the situation. So you want to learn more about the Losers yeah, Club. I want to hear more about Bill, like dealing with his brother dying because it seemed like because we jumped ahead, um, like his brother died we didn't get to hear his reaction to that and then we heard him as an adult and he's like i had forgotten about my brother not not in fact but he had forgotten what it felt like to care about his brother and that kind of thing yeah that's right we didn't talk about that he did kind of say that he he knew he had a brother but he had and he knew that he died but he couldn't really remember until he got that phone call like what the details were right which i thought was really interesting i'm excited to see more bill I like uh, the characters that I'm really interested. I mean, I like all of the characters actually. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, I really I can't wait to see Beverly and what like because it seemed like what from the context what, what I was reading is she wasn't as like she was kind of a like a go getter in the group. Like she was kind of a like she was kind of like spunky, and it seemed like she lost that as an adult. She was less so. Although may, I could have been reading that incorrectly, but we'll see. No, no, I think I think I think you're right on. I can't. I, I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see how Eddie 
deals with his mom how mm-hmm. i really like richie i liked his whole i can't so wait are you are you good with them continuing to bounce back and forth or do you kind of wish they would like keep the one one time line and, and stick with it for a while or? i would rather i would rather get bouncing around but i'm fine with either way i can well i guess really yeah. we got mostly the modern timeline here with a few yeah. kind of flashbacks but yeah not a lot of flashbacks. Uh, i i think the thing that i'm most excited to see is is them as kids interact and then seeing how they interact see where they end up you know what i mean knowing them as adults i'd like to see what made them who they are today that kind of thing sounds like you're excited for part two yeah so am i so any you have any thoughts of the first part overall i mean i i think i think we've both talked about (laughs) i don't want to like get into a a thing where it's all just praising stephen king's majesty and his yeah power because it's well established. He's a great writer. Um, he's 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 earned a lot of what's come his way. I think, um, not to say that everything he ever wrote was amazing, but this is an amazing novel in my opinion. And uh, we'll see how we continue to feel about it um, as it goes forward. I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, how your opinion stays the same, grows, changes. Um, so I hope people come back for the for the next few parts. I guess we should talk about that. Um, our plan is to do. I think we said at the start we want to do a, a, a podcast for each part. And then at the end of it, we'll go see the movie. And then we'll have another podcast where we talk about the movie, what we thought of it, and maybe how it how it held up to versus subverted versus surprised us compared to, in comparison to the novel. Yeah, another another podcast episode. So it'll be five five episodes That's right, episode. of us doing the book and then one, maybe two of us watching the film. Uh, we're going to go see it as soon as we can in theaters and, and get it out as soon as possible. We'll hope we can get it out around that time, it, it, depending on, on how quickly we can get these recorded and uploaded. We'll see. And we have to read this whole book. So <laughs> uh, we'll see how we do on time. But that's that's kind of my goal is to try and, and aim for a, a, a release of that movie um, episode um, around the time the movie's coming out. Which would be September 8th. September 8th. Okay. Um, so we want to thank uh, Ross Bugden for the use of our intro music. Social media, we you can find us on Facebook. We're on Twitter. It's just Ink to Film. Yeah, at Ink to Film on Twitter. At Ink to Film. Oh, um, feedback. We would love for you to get in touch with us and to um, tell us uh, just you know thoughts about about uh, the podcast itself. Um, maybe there's anything that you wish we would focus more on. Bring that up. Um, we'll be interested to hear any of that. If you have um, reactions or comments you want to make about what the material we covered, um, in- include that. And if we see stuff in there that we f- that we think is really cool that maybe we didn't discuss, we could bring it up on the next uh, next episode. Yeah. Um, advice, comments, concerns, anything. Oh yeah. And so email email um, ink to film at gmail dot com. That's our uh, our email address for the podcast. You can also uh, uh, you could message us on uh, on Twitter or something like that, but email would be the best way to do the feedback. So if you have feedback, focus it there. We're also on Facebook. Uh, there'll be a page you can like, like us on Facebook, all that good stuff. Yeah, and any ideas, if, if you feel like there's a segment we could add in somewhere, we're open to criticisms, feedback, anything like that. We're, yeah, we're just starting out, so we're definitely interested to see what, um, to, to people who listen to it, we're open to, to talking about what, we think uh, is best for this show going forward and uh yeah we look forward to hearing from you uh thanks for listening uh i'm luke and i'm james thanks guys hopefully see you next week